<laughs> thank you. And thank you, Lord. We've got someone to sing about. I, I may have sung myself hoarse, so I, I'm just going to pray that I'll have a voice. So let, let's just pray. Lord, thank you that you give us reason for our hearts to be just filled to bursting. Uh, you're so good, Lord. You have sent us a Savior. You have put your hand upon us. You have led us uh, all our life to this very day, or we would not be here. And we give you the credit and the honor for that. So, Lord, give me voice uh, to speak. Uh, more than that, um, Lord, give me the words. Speak your words through this weak man. And bless all who are here uh, to listen. Give us ears to hear and hearts that are just so, so tender and really soft and pliable in your hands um, that you could accomplish what you brought us here for this morning uh, as we listen to your word. So speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Weddings are happy events, some of my favorites. But some wedding requests pose a bit of a dilemma for pastors. Uh, Most of us will not officiate at a wedding between someone who is a follower of Christ and someone who is not because we believe it violates the word of God. But should Christian pastors perform a wedding for two people, neither of whom are followers of Christ? I will do that, and I have done that a number of times and have enjoyed it. Uh, I believe uh, that uh, marriage is a creation ordinance. It was given to all people, the human race, before uh, we fell into sin. So I will do that, but there's always a point early in the conversations where I will tell a couple that something's going to be missing from their wedding. And I'll tell them something like, I cannot give you God's blessing. That always gets their attention. It catches them off guard, and and I don't do it to catch them off guard. I I immediately offer the reason that I cannot give them God's blessing because they have not yet positioned themselves to really receive it from him. Uh, So God's blessing, I tell them, uh, comes to those who have come to the point in their lives where they trust, they repent, they love, and they serve God through a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's always interesting to me to see the response when I say that. A few couples do seem a bit offended, and I understand that. But more often than not, I get no response at all. Maybe they're just being polite or keeping their feelings to themselves. But as long as I'll do the wedding and not embarrass them, they don't seem to care all that much. I often get the sense that they don't even understand what the big deal is. Why are we talking about the blessing of God? And frankly, I think they'd be more upset if I banned photographers and videographers from the ceremony, which I've never done. I've been tempted, though. Do you think having God's blessing is a big deal? I mean, who wouldn't want God's blessing if it were offered? But how significant would it be to you if someone told you that it was beyond your grasp? We're looking at the life of the Old Testament patriarch Jacob. And central to his story is the issue of God's blessing. We're calling this series A Disciple's Life, The Blessing and the Limp. 
We're wanting to learn the lessons the Bible has for us from Jacob's journey with God. And to walk with Jesus is to be blessed by God and to struggle with God at the same time. That's the life of a disciple. Amen? If you're following Jesus, you are blessed. But I have no doubt that you also walk with some kind of a limp as a result of your struggles with God. I know I do. In our last sermon, uh, we looked at four scoundrels in one family who were all out to get God's blessing by any means possible. We understand them because we all are scoundrels too. And it's a good thing that Jesus loves scoundrels, isn't it? Is anybody happy about that? (laughs) That's really the gospel. The gospel tells us that Jesus came and died for scoundrels like us. He took onto himself at the cross your scoundrel nature, your scoundrel way of living, your scoundrel curse. Jesus is frankly amazing. If we've gotten too familiar with him, we need to step back and catch the wonder of who he is again. So I want to encourage you to be looking for him in these messages as we we look at Jacob's life. Because the Lord is persevering with the patriarchs in Genesis, and he perseveres with you and with me and with all of his daughters and sons. Uh, He doesn't leave them. He doesn't leave us as scoundrels, but he transforms us over a lifetime into people who actually experience the Lord. We experience God's forgiveness of sin. People who learn to trust God instead of taking matters into our own hands. People who grow in holiness instead of wickedness and selfishness. And that's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? So, let's recap from last time. It's not a very pretty picture. Father Isaac and son Esau tried to outwit Mother Rebecca and twin son Jacob. And Mother Rebecca and twin son Jacob hatch a plan to outmaneuver them in return. That's a happy family, right? It might remind some of you of the family in which you grew up. But this is the kind of family for which Jesus came. This is the family that God chose to work in, this family of Jacob. And so it's a beautiful picture, even as we see some of the brokenness that's there. And in the end, you know, just as God had promised, Jacob received the blessing, even though his father Isaac thought he was giving it to his favorite son, Esau. So we return to that story today in our passage. Just as Esau and Isaac figure out that they've been conned by Rebekah and Jacob. Today in our third message in this series, we're going to talk about receiving God's blessings. And even though this story describes things that may seem very foreign to us, we're going to see two timeless truths. First, that there's nothing in life so valuable as God's blessing. And second, despising God's blessing means going without him. So let's jump into our text. Verse 27 of Genesis chapter 27. Follow along as I read the words up on the screen. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, and those are Esau's clothes, which Jacob was wearing as part of his trickery, he blessed him. That is, Isaac blessed Jacob, thinking he was Esau. 
and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness, an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. Here's the first timeless truth for our lives today. Nothing in your life is as valuable as God's blessing. Nothing in your life is as valuable as God's blessing. I don't care what your culture tells you. I don't care what people tell you. I don't care what your heart tells you. Nothing in your life is as valuable as God's blessing. God's blessing dominates this story and the entire book of Genesis. This is where the the Bible begins. This blessing was given first to Abraham, then passed on to Isaac, and now it's being passed on to Jacob. As God had promised, soon this blessing is going to reach and bless the whole world. It's easy to see then that this blessing, it was a sacred trust. It was a holy seed, tiny, very tiny, just one family line at this point, but full of world-blessing promise. Several places in Scripture, including this text, tell us that God's blessing was kind of a package of several lavish promises, such as a royal ruling line, rule over your brothers, peoples bow down to you, preeminence among the nations, nations serve you, vast number of descendants, like the dust of the earth and the stars in the sky, a promised land to call home, like a field that the Lord has blessed, heaven's dew, earth's richness, God's presence and protection. I am with you. That's the heart of this promise. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. Now, these are awesome blessings, aren't they? With God himself smack dab in the center of this God-blessed life. So do these blessings remind you of anybody? Uh, Do they make you think of anybody in particular? A royal ruling line, preeminence among the nations, vast number of descendants, a promised land, God's presence and protection? Do they make you think of anybody in particular? Hold that thought. Who is that that's coming into your mind? You see, these were the promises that shaped the significance of Jacob's descendants, the people of Israel. Uh, This was their God-given heritage. And in all these aspects of their blessing, God's goal was what? Ultimately to bless the entire world. But ultimately, the people of Israel failed. The Old Testament tells us that generations of sin and rebellion against God finally brought about a national collapse where Jerusalem was destroyed in the year 586 B.C. Israel lost her king, her land, her her respect among the nations. And she was taken into captivity. Even God himself left the temple. So it looked as if the blessing of God upon Israel was lost, completely lost. And if it was lost to Israel, you know what that means. It was lost to the whole world. But from the ashes of these lost promises and blessings came Jesus Did those promises make you think of him? Jesus, the true Israel, the Messiah, 
descended from David and Judah. And yes, Jacob, he fulfilled the promise of the preeminence of a royal ruling line by being king of kings and lord of lords. He fulfilled the promise of a vast worldwide population of descendants by becoming the second Adam, the father of a new race of people who would never die. He guaranteed the promised land because he's going to gather God's people together from the four corners and they will reign in heaven with him over all the earth. He fulfilled God's promise of presence and protection by coming himself to walk among us. The word made flesh to dwell among us. And then he sent us his Holy Spirit to live within us. God with us. God for us. God in us. So this Genesis 27 blessing that we just read, it's all about Jesus Christ. It's the Father's blessing upon his Son. Through Jesus Christ, who single-handedly carries the blessing responsibility of Israel, all the world is blessed, just as God promised Abraham. All nations, he said, would be blessed. All nations. And here we are today. If that were not true, we would not be here today. But here we are today, a church where the broken from all nations are being made alive and whole in Jesus Christ. Is that good news or what? God is on the move. God is fulfilling his promises through Jesus Christ. But this is what ultimately was at stake in the story of Jacob and Esau. We have to step back and see the backdrop. See the bigger picture. That's what was at stake. And this is what is at stake today when people consider Jesus Christ. As Christians, we have come to believe that we would rather have Jesus and all the blessings we find in him than to live for this present world with all its desires and all that it offers. We're willing to be out of place. And frankly, many times we are. We're willing to be out of place in a world that is passing away so that we can be at home in a world that will last forever. So we've become convinced that there's nothing in life as valuable as God's blessing. Nothing. C.S. Lewis captured this idea so well in his book, The Weight of Glory. This is what he wrote. If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Are you far too easily pleased by the things of this world? Do you want the mud pies or the holiday? Do you want the slum or the sea? Do you want the half-hearted happiness of this life or the fullness of joy in the life everlasting? What are you settling for? What are you settling for that God won't settle for for you? Here's the other timeless truth for our lives today. 
despising God's blessing means going without God. Despising God's blessing, saying it doesn't really matter, means going without God. We need to be clear about this. With the immense value of God's blessing in view, let's return to our story. The New Testament in Hebrews 12 sums up Esau's life with this phrase, godless like Esau. I've said before, that doesn't mean that Esau didn't believe in God. It, it, it means that God didn't matter to him. Esau cared nothing for God's best blessings. Esau was only desperate to get Isaac's blessing because, frankly, he had seen uh, how God had made his father rich and influential, and he wanted that. But he never seemed to want God in the bargain. He just wanted the prosperity, the power, the reputation, the peace. Esau thought, as we'll see as we get farther along in the story today, Esau thought it was Jacob who kept him from the blessing, but it was really God. The reasons why Esau would not receive God's best blessings are the same reasons why people miss God's blessing today. First of all, I'm just going to mention two. First of all, God will not give his blessing to godless people who will not face their sin. He won't give his blessing to godless people who will not face their sin. I think there's hardly a story in all the Bible as wrenching as the one that we're reading here in Genesis 27. We started last week, and it continues on uh, in verses 30 through 41. So follow along as I read, starting in verse 30. After Isaac finished blessing him, and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said, My father, please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father, Isaac, asked him, Who are you? I am your son, he answered, your firstborn, Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came and I blessed him. And indeed, he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me too, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? Remember, Jacob's name means heel grabber. And and it's a Hebrew idiom that means to take advantage of, to deceive. Isn't he rightly named Jacob? This is the second time he has taken advantage of me. He took my birthright, and now he's taken my blessing. Then he asked, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I have made him Lord over you, and have made all his relatives his servants, and I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud. His father Isaac answered him, Your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword, and you will serve your brother. 
When you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. That's a heavy story. Verse 33 tells us that Isaac trembled violently when he discovered what had happened, how his own son Jacob had tricked him. And then in verse 34, we read that Esau burst out with this loud and bitter cry. And he's, he's saying to his father, he says it twice, bless me, bless me too, my father. I don't know, if this were a scene in a movie, I think everybody would be pulling out their handkerchiefs and dabbing at their eyes and they'd be getting all choked up. But, but wait just a minute. Esau had already sold his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of stew. He no longer had any right to the blessing. He didn't have that right anymore. Nevertheless, verse 36 tells us that Esau felt he deserved the blessing. What blessing do you have for me? And and he became so enraged that in verse 41, he begins to plot a way to kill his brother Jacob. Esau thought he was a victim. He thought he was a victim. But his real problem was his own sin. He was godless. He cried like a baby. He wept aloud, but he did not repent. He did not repent because he didn't see himself as a sinful man, only a victim. He had been robbed. He had been wrong. He was the one in the right. That's how he saw it. Like the old labor leader, Jimmy Hoffa, some of you don't recognize that name, but Uh, He once said this, and Esau seems to be saying a similar thing. I may have my faults, but being wrong ain't one of them. Do you see a victim mentality in yourself in any way? Is Is it overriding your ability to face your own sin? To really face your own sin and call it honestly what it is. To turn from it. To turn to God and to receive God's forgiveness and God's blessing. No one can receive the advantages that God gives if they won't face their own sin. That's a place to be stuck. Here's the good news. God has done all the hard work. God has done all the hard work by sending his son to die on a cross for sinners like Jacob and Esau and me and you. In 1 Timothy 1, verse 15, the Apostle Paul wrote toward the end of his own life and ministry, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. He says, he's saying, get this, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. God will save the worst of sinners. He didn't save Paul because he was an apostle. He saved him because he was the worst of sinners. God will save the worst of sinners. That is a strong hope. But God will not save sinners who will not repent and turn from their sin to Jesus Christ. And secondly, why people miss God's blessing today as Esau did back in his day, God will not give his blessing to godless people who want blessings without God. That sounds like our culture to me. 
sounds like our hearts to me. God will not give his blessing to godless people who want blessings without God. Esau wanted what he had seen his father receive from God, the prosperity, the power, the peace. But nowhere, you can search through the whole story, chapter after chapter after chapter, nowhere do we read of Esau wanting God or praying to God or building an altar to God or listening to God's words or even trusting at some level in God. God, as far as we can tell, was simply not on his mind. God was just not part of his world. As the letter to the Hebrews says, he was godless. And that simply means he was without God. And that is a fatal condition. That is a fatal condition, both then and Blessings, by definition, are gifts. They require a generous giver, and our God is a generous giver. Blessings are not something that any of us has by right. Esau knew the blessing came from God, but he had no interest in getting God as part of the deal. He was like a child who just wants the present. You've seen this at birthdays and Christmas. Just want the present. I don't care who gave it. I don't care who sent it. Let's get on with it. Tear the wrapping off. God gives many great blessings to people who do not know him, do not love him, do not trust him. Things like spring mornings and little babies. Good health, good job. The mountains and the ocean. Safety and undeserved kindnesses. Rain and food. This is called common grace. And that just means grace from our creator that comes to all of us. It is common to us all. But the greater blessing, the holy legacy that was first promised to Abraham, only comes with a relationship. That blessing comes with a relationship because it it is the relationship with God that makes the blessing so incredibly valuable and wonderful. A relationship with God, secured and sealed by the blood of Christ. So as the story continues, Esau continues in his godless ways. In fact, he thinks he can bargain his way into God's blessing. In Genesis chapter 28, Esau is still looking for an angle to get his blessing back. So jump down to verse 6 of chapter 28. Now Esau learned that Isaac had blessed Jacob and had sent him to Paddan Aram to take a wife from there, and that when he blessed him, he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman, and that Jacob had obeyed his father and mother and had gone to Paddan Aram. Esau then realized how displeasing the Canaanite women were to his father Isaac. So he went to Ishmael and married Mahalath, the sister of Nebaioth and daughter of Ishmael, son of Abraham, in addition to the wives he already had. So the backstory on this, which we didn't take the time to read today at the end of chapter 27 and the beginning of chapter 28, the backstory is that Rebekah continued her manipulation of Isaac uh, by saying to him that Jacob really should go find a wife from among our own people. Let's send him off to do that. And she She said that so that Isaac would send him off so that Esau would not kill him. So she's still manipulating. 
So when Esau sees Jacob go away to get a proper wife, he thinks to himself, aha, I see, I get it. This is all about my being married to two Canaanite women. I can fix that. So he then goes off and marries his cousin, uh, the daughter of his brother, his father's half-brother, Ishmael. This is not going to work. <laughs> that doesn't work. No one, including Esau, no one, including me, including you, no one, no one gets God's blessing through bargaining and manipulating. God does not bestow his blessing upon those who bargain and maneuver for it. Let me do this, I'll offer you that, without wanting God, without wanting God himself. God blesses those, and it's his grace, who have been brought into a relationship with him through Jesus Christ and are being taught by the Spirit of God to learn how to repent daily, how to love and trust and want God daily as the center and the source of their very lives. That's the life of a disciple. The irony in this story, of course, is that Jacob got the blessing. Jacob had precious little faith in God, as far as we can tell, but he did have a little faith. Faith maybe about the size of a mustard seed, tiny. But nevertheless, it was there in his life as a precious little gift That's what God worked with. This story is not a tribute to Jacob. It is a tribute to God. It is a tribute to the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Jesus who would come as the beloved, faithful, full of truth son. Everything that Jacob was not, and that I am not, and that you are not. But Jesus was the beloved, faithful, full of truth son. This is a tribute to the Lord, who would fix his blessing. Can you imagine this? That he would fix his blessing on someone as slippery and spiritually weak as Jacob, or me, or maybe you. We are blessed only because Jesus received the Father's blessing. He earned it. He deserved it. And he did that on our And it's only ours if we're found in Christ. It's only ours if we are united to Jesus Christ through faith. I find it very encouraging that God started where Jacob was. He met him right there. He provided, he knew he was going to provide Jesus as the perfect provision and sacrifice for Jacob's many weaknesses and failings and sins, just like me and just like you. And and in the end, and this kind of blows my mind, even though I knew it at some level, it's really blowing my mind as we're going through the story of Jacob. In the end, Jacob is commended in Hebrews chapter 11 for his faith, of all things, for his faith. Jacob actually ends up in God's hall of faith right there in in Hebrews chapter 11. Can you believe that? Here's what it says in Hebrews 11, verse 21. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, it's like a, a phrase, it's a code. It means because of a Savior God in whom he came to trust. By faith. 
But I want you to hear that blessing as we close today. I want you to hear that blessing. Listen to what Jacob says at the end of his life. He's dying. He's looking back over his life as he blesses these sons of Joseph. So he says in Genesis chapter 48, verses 15 and 16, this is the blessing of Jacob. May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. Are you seeing it? My friends, I think this may be the first Trinitarian blessing in the Bible, if I'm not mistaken. You say, what? What's a Trinitarian blessing? Well, look closely at each line as we wrap up. Listen carefully. Break it down. The God before whom my fathers walked. Who is that? That's the Father who watches over us. The God who has been my shepherd. Who is that? That's the Son. That's Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. The angel who has delivered me from all harm. That's an odd phrase to use for God, isn't it? The angel? Who is that? Well, angels are called ministering spirits in the Bible. This is the angel who ministers to us and delivers us always. This is the Holy Spirit. So this is the wonder. When God gives a blessing to Jacob to pass on, he gives him... The very his own nature, who he is. This is the wonder of our God who blesses us, Father, Son, and Spirit, three persons in one God. May he bless you. May he bless you. That's the blessing that Jacob passes on when it comes to the end of his own story. He's saying, I made it because of this God. And what I have to give to you is all about this God who loved me and is bringing me home walking before him, shepherded by him, delivered through him. There's no one like our God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen? Is he your God? Is he your God? Not in word, but in life, in reality. Is he your God? Many of us are followers of Jesus. But I think we can see shadows of ourselves in Esau, can't we? So let's renew our desire to keep on repenting of our sin and, and, and just to know and to love above all else in this world the God before whom we walk, who is our shepherd all our lives to this day, who delivers us from all harm. That's his promise. That's his word. And he will do it. Amen? Amen.